Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm extremely proud. I cannot lose. And our day of reckoning is coming. Like, revisit this in like 10 years. What's it going to look like? It's going to be young people that are achieving their goals and aspiring to do great things. And they're going to be adults that are helping that happen. And I have total faith in this city. Welcome to the Real Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. The city of Detroit, Michigan, has indelibly impacted each and every phase of Jalen Rose's life. From a childhood there mired in hardship and poverty, to an ascent as one of the city's greatest ever prep basketball stars, then on to nearby University of Michigan, where Rose brought his unmistakable Detroit swagger to the fabled Fab Five, and later the NBA, where Rose played for 13 years. Wherever he went, Rose remained Mr. Detroit through and through, immensely proud of his roots, but also mindful of the challenges plaguing his hometown that he once overcame, but that a whole new generation of kids were still having to navigate. That's why Rose is now trying to do his part to tackle one of the city's most glaring, longstanding problems, a woefully suffering school system that's been particularly detrimental to the city's predominantly African-American, low-income families. Enter the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy, a tuition-free charter school that Rose created hoping to give more of Detroit's inner-city kids a fighting chance at a proper education. On today's podcast, you'll hear the story of Rose's Academy and some of the inspiring results it's already generated. Then we'll be joined by Jalen Rose to talk more about the challenges of pivoting from NBA star to educator, the unique way Rose's school has structured its curriculum to resonate with Black students, and the bond forged between Rose and the many kids he's now taken under his wing. But first, here's Mary Carrillo's real sports story on Jalen Rose. They were known as the Fab Five. Five freshman teammates who, in the early 90s, made Michigan basketball a must-watch affair, bringing an inner-city swagger to the world of college hoops. Gear gotta be fly. Shorts got to be flat. The black shoes, the black socks, the cubic zirconian fake ones I had in my ear. How much credit can you take for that look? I take the credit of being born and raised in Detroit. Jalen Rose, the team's top scorer, says that he was molded by the streets of Detroit, which may explain why he's never left the city. Here's Jalen Rose, triple drive to the rim, got it! Not even after striking it rich in the NBA, and it's not for the Lakers to win it every year. Or becoming one of the top broadcasters on ESPN. Do you spend a lot of time in Detroit? Not only do I spend a lot of time in Detroit, I live here. Why don't you want to be in New York? Why do you want to be in Atlanta? Those are good cities, big cities. They don't need me. They didn't raise me. They, they, they have it all figured out. Happy Monday. 
Detroit, Rose says, does not. The city is beset by problems, including one he dealt with as a child, one he says he now wants to solve. Morning, morning, morning. The Detroit public school system, it's been ranked the worst public school district in the country. I knew that. I figured you did. Eighth grade reading, only 7% of Detroit kids scored proficient or above. I mean, these are bleak, bleak numbers. Sometimes the truth hurts. Mm. And for me, it was how can I try to be a part of the solution? That's why 10 years ago, Rose opened the doors to this place, the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy, a tuition-free charter school that gives parents and kids an alternative to Detroit's public schools. Rose is the school's president and chief benefactor. What are y'all playing? And says he's as comfortable here as on any basketball court. In high school, I was an honor roll student. I took pride in my academics. I was actually a nerd. You look like Urkel. Yes, look at this. <laughs> I'm collegiate, okay? What's the most important part of the robot? Label that for me. Many of Rose's students are the kinds who might slip through the cracks in a large urban school system. Kids living below the poverty line and raised by single mothers. She works every day for 30 days. Like, I think she has to work this weekend. She has two jobs? Long hours? Long hours. So she needs you to be a good kid. Yeah. Like, whenever I get money or something, I will save it and put it towards, like, groceries to help her out. So I buy groceries, and she does everything else. Rose, it turns out, can relate. Morning, morning. He, too, was raised by a single mother who worked two jobs and could barely make ends meet and says the strain affected him emotionally. I had a lot of anger issues, and I used to get into a lot of physical altercations. What got you angry? Being poor. But young Jalen was angry about something else, too, being abandoned by his father. He would see his father only on TV, starring for the NBA's Detroit Pistons. Jimmy Walker! Number 24, Jimmy Walker, who refused to meet his young son or provide for him. That right there, feeling like somebody neglected me. You use it as fuel? I used it as fuel. My number in high school was 42 because he wore 24. I did it out of spite. The only things Rose had to connect to his father growing up was a name Jalen, a name his mother made up by combining the names of his father, James, and her brother, Len, and an old basketball card he carried around. I just kept his card in my pocket. I used to go to pickup games, and that was almost like my entry. I got this potential right here, y'all. Did you need to be better than your father? I needed him to know my name. You're killing me. You're going to know my name because you gave up on me. And the world going to know my name, and you're going to have to watch it. Rose to the hole over Leitner. Got it! Jalen Rose with a dozen here in the second stanza. By the time he was 18, Rose's name was known nationwide, thanks to the rise of the Fab Five. But he remained angry at his absent father, and that anger fueled a resentment of other black players from more well-off nuclear families, like his rival from Duke, Grant Hill. I called him an Uncle Tom when we were playing against him. You meant it as a slur. I meant it as a slur. I was jealous of Grant Hill. But I didn't realize my disdain was that he had what it looked like to be a member of the Cosby family. He actually knew his father. What a noble thing. And his father, 
and intellect, strong, powerful. So that bitterness literally just came from being a have not. I did a profile on Grand Hill for Real Sports, and he said that he was not raised to be a basketball player. He was raised to be a prince. I was raised to either sling crack rock or have a wicked jump shot. Rose says he wants to give Detroit's new generation more options than that. But it's an uphill battle. For many kids, the goal is often just making it through the day in a community where they can't even feel safe in their own homes. Was this house ever broken into? Yes. Our record is our house has been broken into three times within a matter of six months. Chanel Miles grew up much like Jalen Rose did, poor and without a father. Worse still, Chanel also doesn't have a mother, as she was deemed unfit to care for a child when Chanel was just 15 months old, which is why her grandmother, Trina Miles, had to take her in. Because I'm like, okay, I got this kid at two. I don't want her. I didn't want her. You know, I don't want to raise another kid. But I said, her mom's never going to take her back. I have to accept the fact that I have to raise this kid. And I put my all into it. Trina resolved that her granddaughter would have a better life. And she knew that the only way she was going to get it was by getting an education. Only problem was, Detroit's public school system wasn't equipped to give her one. And Trina couldn't afford private school. But then she saw a flyer for a brand new school opening up nearby and knocked on the door. I was able to direct my questions directly to Jalen. I asked him everything about the curriculum, about the attendance policy, about the uniforms. He probably wanted to say, would you leave now? This big, famous, busy guy. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem that way to me, though. He just seems like a next-door neighbor or something. Did you like the answers he was giving? Yeah, 100%. With those answers, Chanel began attending the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy. And a new world opened up to her, because it was, for her, more than just a school. With a student body comprised of nearly 100% African Americans, the school features a curriculum designed around the black experience. What I'm looking for, two examples from your film of either perpetuating stereotypes of African Americans or challenging those stereotypes. And a staff of predominantly black teachers and administrators. 80% of public school teachers are white women. That's a fact. Now, when you have black women, like our principal, Wendy Lewis. Hey Jordan, you're late, baby. Hurry up, okay? It give young people like me, who are mama's boys, that came from single-parent homes, it gives us a leader, but it gives us a motherly figure. Also, same with black teachers that are men. Somebody like me didn't have a father in the home. They can become a father figure. If I don't have that figure that I see myself in, it's really hard for me to create it out of nothing, out of thin air. So you had not seen a lot of African-American role models. Only on TV. But while Chanel excelled at the school, she, like a young Jalen Rose, began to battle emotional problems, haunted by the pressures of living in poverty and without a parent's love. Why'd you want to kill yourself in high school? I felt a lot of, like, what about me isn't worth the love? 
that a mother's supposed to give her child? <laughs> Sorry. There might be a lot of kids like Chanel walking these halls. Do you worry that there are a lot of kids who even in this environment can't yes. open up? And that's what happens with young people who grew up in poverty and in the inner city. It's kind of like that dove you see floating on the water, looks so beautiful, but you can't see the legs just churning. So many things just churning in their heads, in their heart. And that's why this class exists. It's that stigma in our community sometimes that when you're suffering from a mental illness or mental health, that they are crazy. Or, a class to know, teach kids about the mental health issues the school says are often ignored in the black community. Why is it that we in our community really do not seek that help that we know we probably need? Chanel Miles would get the help she needed and even graduate third in her class. And when it was time for college, she'd go to the University of Michigan, just like Jalen Rose, who routinely checked in with Miles throughout her college career. I've always kind of just wondered, like, what do you see in me? <laughs> like, I don't know. And I could call him up and ask for advice if I need it, you know? It's Have like, you done that? Yeah. <laughs> Miles recently graduated from Michigan with a degree in psychology and now has a career and a place of her own. I went from a house that got broken into three times within a matter of six months, and now I have a high-rise apartment at a prime location in downtown Detroit looking out across the city. And I can see Canada, and it just goes on and on and on. And Miles is just one of many. The school has a 97% graduation rate. And of those graduates, 100% are accepted to college. Not bad, Rose says, for a school that like so many in this city, is just barely making ends meet. I'm sweating through my shirt. You know why? Because there's no air conditioning in here. Ten years, no air condition. We need a boiler right now. Do you know how much a boiler costs? Well, it used to cost around 300000 and then the pandemic hit, and now it's like 550000 or more. You know how much everything costs around here? I do. Despite all that, the boy who just wanted his father to know his name did one better. The name Rose's mother made up and that he made famous is now one of the most popular names in America's black community. You give me your names. What's your name? Jalen. Jalen? Yeah. Do you know how many Jalens there are in this school? A lot. A lot. What, what's a lot? 15. You gotta be kidding me. You seem pretty proud of what you've been able to pull off. I'm extremely proud. I cannot lose. And our day of reckoning is coming. Like, revisit this in like 10 years. What's it gonna look like? It's gonna be young people that are achieving their goals and aspiring to do great things, and they're gonna be adults that are helping that happen. And I have total faith in this city. And we're now joined by the man himself, former collegiate and NBA basketball star turned broadcaster and now educator in his hometown of Detroit, Jalen Rose. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. I appreciate the love. So, Jalen, I, I know you've always kept your roots in Detroit. So when you focus in on education and you first hatch the idea to open a school, you take a closer look at the, the school system that was in place and is in place in Detroit. What struck you as the biggest systemic problems that you wanted to fix with the academy? 
being a product of my environment, I always felt like it was really disappointing that in the United States of America, the quality of your education is defined by your zip code. And there's so many gymnastics that parents are trying to do to put their young student in position to be in a quality school. And there's levels to this. There's the parent that has the means to send their kid to private school. That could be a K through 12 responsibility for a parent that could cost you $500,000. And then you have the suburban parent who has the ability to send their son or daughter to a public school in the suburbs where those schools get more funding based on their zip codes. So in a state like Michigan, that could be $14,000, $15,000 per student, which becomes around $200,000 as an investment. Where I grew up in the 48235, inner city students get $8,000 per student. So that's $96,000 K through 12. So we call the work that we're doing bridging the education gap. How can I take a student that got invested $96,000 and have them compete for career opportunities, college, when they've got $100,000 invested in them, and this scholar has $500,000 invested in them. And so that's what JRLA is really all about, because we're open enrollment, we're tuition-free, we're public charter. So my goal was to try to create a school that our scholars can compete, because I lived this life, and it happened indirectly via my brother, Chris Weber, because while we both signed the same letter of intent to go to the University of Michigan. I remember people saying, oh, we know Chris is going to be fine academically because he went to country day, but Jalen's going to be in trouble. I'm like, I just made the honor roll. I'm like, hold on. Like, wait a minute. And so I saw the classism play out via my lifestyle and sports. And so I always felt that if I was in position to give back, it would be via education because that's something that young people can never have taken away from them. Has it been harder than you thought it would be? What are some of the challenges of opening and running a school that maybe you didn't envision when you started this? So I love what I do. We're 10 years in. It's really unique for me because I'm the founder of the school. I'm the president of the board. I'm the chief and lead fundraiser as well. And so that means when I look down at my phone, 50% of the emails I have in my life are directly or indirectly related to the school. And then there's a second portion to answer your question. We get zero state funding for our facility. Zero state funding for our facility. So that's where it's important for me to try to do what I can to make sure that those funds are written and raised by myself, members of the board, members of the community, businesses in the state of Michigan, businesses that are international. And there have been so many people that have supported what we've done. But the biggest challenge is finance. So if something happens to the boiler right now, if a window gets broken, if we need to upgrade, that comes from my cell phone. That comes from the board that we have. And so it's imperative. And that's the challenge, the fiscal one, to try to put our scholars in a dynamic where they can have a state-of-the-art facility. That's why right now I have a $10 million campaign where I'm trying to expand our facility so we can have a gymnasium, two extra classrooms, because we still have rotating teachers. And so that's something I'm working on, and we're really proud of that. A lot has been made, Jalen, of how remote learning and the challenges of the pandemic have disproportionately hurt students from lower income families. I'm curious what you've seen in the last couple of years with COVID and the effect it's had on on your kids 
So when the pandemic first hit, it forced everyone to pause, right? And now all of a sudden, you're relying on your infrastructure at home more. And the thing that I learned is when you have a family dynamic that you have a room to go do your homework, you actually have a computer, you actually have internet service, you have a parent that's going to help you if something is challenging, whether it's you have a problem connecting or whatever. And so also that student a lot of times feels a level of comfort at home and remote learning. The students that I serve in the neighborhood I grew up in, we need that eight hours to get out of the house, to get off the block for an escape, because it now gives us a chance to remove ourselves and um, have the bandwidth to now think about our dreams and our goals. And so the first thing that I noticed is that there were so many families that didn't have internet service, that didn't have computers. Just like the, so I'm, I have the remote in my hand and I'm watching and I'm seeing people saying, well, it's going great. The students are learning at home. And I'm like, no, I need to go raise $160,000 so I can make sure my scholars got computers. And so uh, the challenges were our young people, the escape that it provides them and the extracurricular activities and the sports that we have in the building that give them an opportunity to escape a lot of times their home environment. As we heard in the story, some of the classes at the Leadership Academy are specifically tailored to Black students and their life experience. What are some examples of those sorts of courses that uh, uniquely resonate with those kids? So history, first and foremost. And the second one is an awareness of where you're from. Like learn the history of the city of Detroit, the state of Michigan, notable things that happened here. What are we known for? Some of the people that have come from here, like learn the history and learn the background and then learn about your people. And I think that now gives them a level of confidence when you know more about you and where your heritage is from. And then you know about where you're raised. I believe it gives you a sense of pride and it gives you a sense of achievement that you can also do something special, that you can also do something successful. You're running a predominantly black school in a predominantly black city amidst a national battle over how race is woven into American education. I'm sure that's not lost on you, even if you give these kids a wonderful education rooted in comprehensive curriculum that specifically taps into their history, their culture. How do you prepare them to navigate a world where so many others may have a very different sort of childhood education? Life skills, social skills, etiquette. What we try to provide, I try to provide and hope to like embark on our young people is yes, education, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. But we want to make sure they have the life skills, the social skills, the etiquette, the leadership. How do they respond in a crisis? Their decision making, their problem solving, the exposure to sex, drugs, violence, gangs. And I always felt like the eight most important years for a young person are the four that they're in high school and the four that they could be in college or secondary education. You ask any adult where their dreams went awry is usually during that eight-year period of puberty and being exposed to life. And that's another thing that JROA does that's unique. We're a nine through 16 model. Think about this. When you graduated from high school, what did your high school do for you when you left? Nothing. They told you they're going to have a 10-year reunion, a 20-year reunion. They didn't support you your freshman year in college. 
They didn't support you if you decided to go to trade school or military or the police academy or a college or university. That's what JRLA provides. And we've been providing for 10 years. And so we have 400 scholars currently in high school. But I also have another 600 plus that we're still influencing. So that's a thousand plus young people that are in our network. What does that post high school support look like? So it's the same relationship that happens while they're in school. It's just that support now is there for you when you're in college. And we have our college support staff that also make sure that we're working with our young people to find a college that's going to be a match for their skill, to find a college that's going to, to find a trade school that's going to be a match for things that they're passionate about. So we help them bridge their funding gaps so they're not dropping out after their first or second year. We're going to the campus, making sure they're being exposed to the programs, to the individuals, to the people that can help them be nurtured while they're on campus. So it's a lifestyle. It's a family. It's not just you graduate from high school, you throw your hat in the air, and the job is over. The job ain't over. That kind of disappoints me, to be honest, in the United States. Two things. One, that I made sure we don't do. One, we're not done with you after high school. And number two, we're not done with you in June while you're off June, July, August. And then we expect you to catch back up in September and compete in a global economy against students around the world that are going to school six days, seven days a week. And then we wonder why we're behind. And so those are the kind of things that we do that are really special. I want to pivot, Jalen, back to your years at Michigan. The way you and your Fab Five teammates were perceived, you guys were a flashpoint in a larger culture war in many ways. Did that experience, being thrust into that as a young kid in college, permanently influence how you thought about race in American culture, American education? It did. In a few ways, for those who haven't seen like the movie He Got Game with Ray Allen and Denzel played his father, that's a form of a depiction of what it's like to be an inner city kid from Detroit that's 95% Black. My teammates are 95, 98% Black. The teams that we're playing against, the exact same thing. And the stands are predominantly Black. So now when I graduate from Southwestern, and I go to Michigan, you flip the coin and all of that's different. It's just the opposite. And so in a lot of ways, that could be a culture shock. And for me personally, being on the Fab Five stage at the University of Michigan, I resented the fact that so many people were judging me and calling me a dumb jock that never met me. I ain't like that. I ain't appreciate that. I didn't like the fact that when I got out of school in May, June, it ain't like now where I could have kept my apartment or my dorm for the summer. When I got finished with that Fab Five freshman season, I had to pack up and come back to the block and stay at my mother's house that I just left 12 months ago. So the rest of the world, like, there go Jalen Rose of the Fab Five. I'm like, my pocket's leaking. I'm, I'm back at my mother's house. And, and, and that doesn't remove you from the things that you were trying to get away from. The friends that are selling drugs, the friends that are stealing cars, like, I can't remove myself. Like, how, how can I do that? And so what ends up happening is that cycle continues to get fed. And there was a flashpoint when we were about to play Duke. And we were sitting now about to do the interview, the national interview. I think it was our first one. And I remember thinking, I'm broke. My skin is bad. I ain't never been to the dentist. I'm tired from practicing and going to school today. Like, I really, I don't have a fresh haircut. 
Like, I don't want to do this, really. I, I really remember thinking, like, I'm actually being made to do this. And at the end of that, it's something that now if you see Jalen Rose, the adult, through therapy, I learned it was a trigger of mine because that became a flashpoint of an insecurity that I'm now as adult trying to conquer. And that's what life and the evolution of young people is really all about. So that insecurity brings me to something else, which is you guys were megastars, larger than life at Michigan. But of course, you played at a time when players making legitimate money off their image and likeness. That was a fairy tale. Do you ever think about how different things would have been or how much money the Fab Five would have made in the NIL era? I do. So there's a sophistication to this. There used to be an ego that said, even though I ain't getting paid, you know, I'm going to make it to the league one day. And then when I make it to the league, I'm, you know, that's going to make up for me not getting paid in college. And then you become an adult and you like, no, nah, that, no, nah, that's different. Uh-uh. Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey ain't never said they had too much money. Like they've never, they've never said that. They, one of them will push you out of the way walking down the street for a hundred dollar bill if it's on the ground. It's a mentality. Don't ever get it twisted. So like those billionaires like them. The reason why they were able to achieve that is because they started owning pieces of who they were earlier. And so I'm going to give you some like there's going to be some people that like throw some pie in the sky players or teams from collegiate basketball out there and tell you they should have got paid and they would have gotten paid or even got paid more than we probably would have got paid. And I'm about to quickly dispel that for you with real time examples. Number one example, Black Sox. There was a time, young people, when you could go to the mall and black socks were not being sold. The first time Fab Five wore them, there was only three pairs at the mall. Jalen Rose had a pair of white socks on. On top of that, he had on a pair of dress socks because there wasn't even enough black socks being sold. So imagine if we got a percentage of all of the sales of black socks over the last 30 years. Every time you, Every time I see somebody with some black socks on, I'm like, I should be owning a piece of that. The moniker Fab Five would be about money. The moniker would be money. How many times you see list, my Fab list of this, my Fab Five list of that. Like there was was a television show called the Fab Five. There was a rap group called the Fab Five. I would have been making more money from college than what I would have been making in the league. So going back to the academy, you're a busy man, Jalen. You're on TV, you're podcasting, you're you're supporting your your guys at the University of Michigan, going to games, traveling. Having as much involvement as you do in this school on a daily basis is a lot. It's a labor of love for you. Definitely it is. It's one of those things, though, that I'm so very committed to that I will not stop. And failure isn't an option because there are so many people that rely on me. I'm standing on the curb many days waving at parents as they drop off their young scholar at school. And while they're believing in the name on the school and what's happening in the building, they make sure they let me know I'm dropping them off to you, Jalen. I trust you. I know you're going to do the right thing. And that has nothing to do with A's, B's, C's, and D's. That has something to do with earning the respect, the trust of not only your commitment uh, of your community, but enduring it and everlasting. Like my roots are 313. And so giving back to that community, being a, a member of that community, it's it just important for me to invest and reinvest because it's done and given me so much and I can never truly say thank you. And one of the ways I knew was that I sent the list of 50 people we could name the school after. Like I didn't want the school to be named after me. 
I was like, we can name it the Martin Luther King. We can name it after Frederick Douglass. Like I, I, Harriet Tubman. Like I, I can. It's like, but if you name, if we name it after you, you gonna own it. And that's just what I'm doing. It ain't even time to sit back and celebrate what's happening. It's more what's next. Imagine this. And it's so very refreshing. When you have a nine through 16 model, that means you're still in young people's lives after high school. And so I go to Chase Bank, see a JRLA student. I was just ordering takeout from Outback, saw a JRLA student. I was just at Wingstop, saw a JRLA student, a moving and shipping company. Young person come jump out, well-dressed, got his clipboard. JRLA student. So I get a chance to live in a community and see the work that we're putting in happen. And so that energizes me even more to try to make sure that the goals and the sky's the limit for what we're trying to accomplish. Well, Jalen, it's it's great to chat with you, hear more about the school and everything you've got going on. We, uh, we hope the success stories there will continue. And thanks again for being with us. I appreciate the love. Thanks for having me on. And Mary Carrillo's story on Jalen Rose is just part of this month's new episode of Real Sports. Also on the show, as the war in Ukraine continues, David Scott revisits his 2018 report on the International Army Games, where Russia and its allies took part in a bizarre sporting competition that allowed them to boast military might and showcase the very tanks and aircrafts that they're now using to bombard the cities of Ukraine. Brian Gumbel is joined by avid baseball fan and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders to discuss the frustration on Capitol Hill with Major League Baseball owners and the financial agenda that drove their recent lockout of big league players. And Andrea Kramer profiles the skiing Cochrans. It's an unlikely story of an Olympic family dynasty sprung from a tiny hill in a backyard in Vermont. The Cochrans have been a mainstay in U.S. ski racing for decades, but now the latest generation is carrying the family legacy to all new heights. You can catch those stories in all recent episodes of Real Sports with Brian Gumbel on HBO Max. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next time.